Good morning. How many of you are glad to be here today? We are so glad to see you. What a good-looking bunch of folks. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. We are blessed and so honored to have each and every one of you here this morning. We, um, we love West Memphis and Marion. We have developed relationships with a number of the pastors in the area. There's some wonderful ministries in this city, in these two cities, great churches in Marion and West Memphis. We are very honored today to have you. If you're a first-time guest, we're thrilled that you're here. We have folks in gray serve shirts that says, here to serve. If you need anything, that team is on standby, ready and waiting to take care of any need that you might have. We are just so blessed to be in this new facility. Last weekend was truly a remarkable experience. If any of you were here, put your hands together and put, give the Lord praise. Amen. Before I jump into the message this morning, I just want to say that uh, we are fully aware of the crowded situation that we're in. And um, though we are stepping forward in faith, we believe that it's going to be necessary quickly to go back to two services. We just wanted to see what would happen in January because we've had several special meetings. Our first Sunday was outrageous. There was about almost 600 people here. And um, Christmas Eve was packed wall-to-wall people in the, in the lobby. The next Sunday... Uh, this room was full, but we had 54 cars on the street. Um, the, what will push us back to two services will not be the size of our kids' classrooms because we double what we had in the other building, tripled some of them. And this room almost doubled to what we had at the mall. So we realize that what's going to dictate the time that we pull the trigger on going back to two services is going to be our parking lot. And so we're very aware Please just hang in with us just for a little while. We wanted to see if this thing was going to level off. We know that there's a lot of interest, and we're excited about that, people coming to look and check things out. And uh, we, we're, we, we're going to meet as trustees uh, for our organization here, and they're already praying about it and asking the Lord the timing of that, but I really feel like it's going to be pretty quickly in the next few weeks. So we'll be announcing that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see you. We're just overwhelmed at all the goodness that God is doing in each and every one of our lives. Last weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, was a truly memorable occasion. A number of you said to me, came to me and said, and called this week and said, I'm so glad you didn't just do that in one big service, but we got to take the weekend and celebrate 30 years of our ministry and to really just kind of soak in the presence of the Lord and all the wonderful worship that we had and just fellowship. Somebody asked me, said, why did, why did you build the lobby so big? I said, because we want you to be able to stand out there and mingle and meet people and talk and enjoy your coffee and, and just make some new friends. And so I'm thrilled when I walk through and I see that happening. We um, are starting a new series this morning called Habits. Habits are something that we all have, both good and bad, uh, I'm not up here this morning as the paragon to say I only have good ones. You can look at me and tell that I have a couple of bad ones. I didn't mean for you to laugh at that point. <laughs> um, but I'm starting the new year fresh. I'm expectant. I have hope in my heart. 
I still, every day, since the day that Dawn died, it took me about a week and after the shock, and I started getting up every morning and throwing the covers off and putting my feet on the floor and saying, I, today I choose joy. And I, I woke up this morning and said those words. I was laying in the bed when I said it. I didn't throw my legs off over the side, but I, I laid there and I said, Father, I choose joy today. Thank you for giving me another day where I woke up in my right mind, at least I think I am, and I'm so grateful to be able to lead this wonderful church into this next season that we're in. And as I was praying through the fall, we tried to plan out the preaching calendar for about a year, and we look at things that we feel like would be beneficial to each of you as believers, people in the community. We all have struggles. Everybody in the room is struggling with something. Uh, it might not be major at this point, but everybody's got something that's a little bit of irritating or annoying, and you're working on it, and you've, and you've not quite put it under your feet yet in, in terms of having victory over it. And uh, the whole point is that you never quit, because as long as you don't quit, you haven't failed yet. Come on, somebody. As long as you don't quit, there's not really failure. And if you just keep getting back up and you learn from your previous lessons and mistakes and you let God redeem those because he is a gracious God who truly works all things together for our good because we love him and we are the called according to his purpose. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So this morning we launched this new series called Habits and we're going to go about eight weeks uh, it may be it may grab the ninth week because I've got eight messages that I want to do. And I'm going to be out one week. I'll be gone the weekend of February 10th because I'm going to the Grammys. I'm, I'm Abby's date. She has a Grammy nomination, which just uh, is, do what? I, I, I mean, her album's not even out yet. You know, it has several a couple of singles and things that are going on. So it's just remarkable seeing the blessing and the favor of the Lord in my children's lives, and I'm excited to celebrate that with them. But I am pumped about this series. I encourage you to call a friend and get them in here because this is going to be fully grounded in the Word of God, but we're going to be using some great resources that are from the behavioral psychology world and from the business world. I'll be using... Uh, Dr. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I preached a message or a series of messages on it about 21 years ago uh, that I called Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. And so I really felt led of the Lord to come back and kind of knock the dust off of that and put some new stuff in it and revive it. But there's several books that I'm reading right now. Charles Druig's The Power of Habit, James Clear, Atomic Habits. And then the one I'm going to tell you about this morning by a retired U.S. Navy Admiral, uh, William H. McRaven. It's called Make Your Bed. Everybody like your neighbor and say, Make Your Bed. And so as we launch the series this morning, the title of this message today is called The Power of Habits. Say that with me. The Power of Habits. And I have uh, a text that I would like to read before... I have two verses I want you to read, and before we get there, I'm going to give you two that put it in context. The Bible gives us an amazing book in the very middle of the, of, of the Bible itself. It's called the book of Proverbs, mainly written by the greatest king of Israel, Solomon, David's son, and a number of wise men, prophets and sages, who have given us these pithy sayings 
uh, that help us understand how to deal with relationships and money and time and resources and conflict and all kinds of things that are very, very fruitful to us if we're going to be successful people in the kingdom of God. The text is found in Proverbs chapter 24. I've got two verses before, three verses before that, 30 through 32. So just listen. This is not on the screen. One day I passed by the field of a lazy man, and I noticed the vineyards of a slacker. I observed nothing but thorns, weeds, and broken down walls. So I considered their lack of wisdom, and I pondered the lessons that I could learn from this. Now, this is where you pick up and you read with me. If you would look at one of the screens, here we go. Professional work habits prevent poverty from becoming your permanent business partner. Stop right there. Professional work habits, being there on time, having a good attitude, being part of the solution, not part of the problem. Those are habits that you want to have in your places of work. Those are just a few of numerous ones. Continue reading if you would. And if you put off until tomorrow the work you could do today, tomorrow never seems to come. How many of you know what I'm talking about with procrastination? Somebody said one time, a procrastinator is someone who just can't take now for an answer. And so we want to deal with the spirit of procrastination. That is that we can refinance it and pay in the future or we can just put it off and put it on a to-do list for later. And oftentimes, tomorrow actually never shows up. There's one thing that I communicate. This is part of my style of preaching, and it's something that I've learned over the years. I've, I've read and studied great preachers, Charles Stanley, T.D. Jakes, um, a couple of Anglicans that are, that are real heroes of mine, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I, I read and study and listen to and watch a whole, across the whole spectrum of the body of Christ. And, and I appreciate the thing that I learned from Andy Stanley, Dr. Charles Stanley's son. He wrote a book called Communicating for Change. And he said, get one idea and drive it through your whole message. And so this morning, the one thing that I bring, and it'll be like I'll, I have three points. They're like three verses in a song we sing. But you come back to a chorus that repeats. And the chorus that repeats, the one thing I want you to take home with you in this message today, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this one thing. Look at your neighbor and say, get this one thing. Are you ready? Here it is. Read it with me. What we repeatedly do determines our destiny. All right? I believe this side had, had the anointing of the Holy Ghost on you. I could hear you. Pray for this side, okay? Here we go. Here we go. Everybody, like you mean it. Come on. Here we go. What we repeatedly do, say it. That's better. Wow. Now, I'm going to actually have you say it one more time because repetition is how you learn things. Come on, grab it with me. Here we go. Everybody, with all you've got, what we repeatedly do determines our destiny. My choices today affect the outcomes of my tomorrow. The Bible calls that the law of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And he, also, he goes on to say in Galatians 6, 9, that if we will not grow weary in doing good in due season, at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. So we have to keep going and not quit and be patient 
and recognize that what I do determines my destiny. What I keep continually doing is going to affect where I end up tomorrow and next week and five years from now and 20 years from now. Do you believe that? Say amen. All right, let's bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Dear God, we need you. We need you. Every one of us in this room does some things that we, we need to adjust out of our behavior. Help us, Lord. Help us to not merely focus on bad habits that need to change, but, Lord, the good ones that we have, and let us build on those good ones and increase their tribe. Because whatever we repeatedly do determines our destiny. And I ask you now that you would be in my words, Holy Spirit. You're the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from you, and I acknowledge that before you and before this people. I ask you to be in the hearts of your people and their hearing and their listening. Let them grasp the spirit of understanding and wisdom and counsel. Those are the spirits of God. Those are characteristics of who you are. Let us grab this today and recognize that whatever I do, it's going to determine how I end up. We're careful to give you the praise. Let everything we do, whatever we do in word or deed, let it be done to the glory of God. And as Ecclesiastes said, whatever we put our hand to, let us do it with all of our might. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. The Greeks, the philosophers, gave us the concept that there is a direct linear connection between your thoughts and your destiny. Thoughts that are repeated become actions. Actions that are repeated become habits. Habits that are repeated become your character. A character that is lived out persistently and consistently becomes your destiny. It's a little bit expanded the way the Greeks gave it to us. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So, where you end up tomorrow began in how you think today. Your thoughts determine your words and your actions. And it's critical that we see the connection between those two. And, and today as we do, I want to define the term. Because too many times, folk don't hear what I'm saying. They hear what they're thinking. Like right now, the, one of my illustrations to show that point is if I say the word apple, if some of you saw a red piece of fruit, raise your hand. How many of you saw a green piece of fruit in your mind? Raise your hand. Or maybe a yellow piece of fruit. How many of you saw an iPad or a phone? So one word has the potential to produce multiple ideas among the people of this crowd. And so we want to make sure that we do our due diligence so that we are all jumping off the same springboard into the swimming pool of understanding, okay? So we want to define what is a habit. That's my first point this morning. Quickly, what is a habit? And as we recognize what a habit is, uh, it's defined as a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is hard to give up. Say those last few words, hard to give up. The book that I'm reading by James Clear called Atomic Habits defines a habit this way. He says it's a routine or a practice performed regularly, an automatic response. Everybody say automatic. 
an automatic response to a specific situation. Now, I, I, I don't know whether you've ever done this or not, but even though we have a new church, and I'm so excited about it, and I certainly know where it is, a couple of times since we've gotten in here, I've gotten into my car, and I have been all the way to Ace Hardware on 77 and thought, where I'm going to the old building. Because it's what? It's a what? What is it? It's a habit. And habits are automatic responses that kick in when you're not thinking about it. It's an unconscious choice. And so we recognize that these routines or practices that we do regularly has a way of affecting the lives that we live. I don't know what your morning routine is when you throw the covers off. If you get up and brush your teeth first, or any other, you brew your coffee or whatever other things that you do in the morning, but you probably have a consistent way that you do them because it just, it's just easy. It's just very easy to get into a flow and, and to just let things happen as they happen and, and to embrace those practices that we do. Now, the word habit is not used in the authorized version of Scripture. The Bible uh, the old Bible, the King James, does not use the word habit, but it uses words that mean habit, like a custom or a practice or a manner. Newer translations take these old English Bible words and they give us the word habit. For example, Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. The NIV, a newer translation, says, don't stop getting together as, has, as it has become the habit of some. And so a manner of life, a custom, a practice that you see in the old scriptures is the same concept of habits. I'm not preaching anything that's not in the Bible because these things affect the lives that we live. It was Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, who told us this. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is an act. I'm sorry, excellence is not an act, but a what? Say it. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is not an act, but a habit. Now, I love this one because we all have the tendency to look at other people's lives and we can so readily see the stuff that's wrong with them. Look what Mark Twain said about that. Nothing so needs reforming as other people's habits. Now, now, husbands, don't, don't raise your hand to this question I'm going to ask you right now. Does that lovely better half in your life do a couple of things that frustrate you? Don't, don't even say amen. I don't even want to hear anything, okay? Ladies, do, is it so easy to be able to look and see the habits of others, the, 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 the husband that you love, the, the children that you've raised? Typically, they end up picking up what they see us do. So multiple times we need to arise and take personal responsibility because our, what is our one thing? Our one thing is that what we repeatedly do determines our destiny. Come on, that, she's giving me an amen, that little baby back there. We love, love children here, come on. Everybody, say it with me. What we repeatedly do determines... All right, thank you for the five people that are with me this morning. Come on, all the rest of you, here we go. What we repeatedly do determines our destiny. So we've defined what a habit is. So I want to move on now in Scripture and show you how this pervasively touches our lives from the minutia to the big things. 
the big celebrations, the big problems. We sang this morning about the mountain that I face is going to be thrown into the midst of the sea. And you know, whether or not that happens in your life and your personal struggle is going to depend on how you think about your problem, the words you say about your problem, the actions you take toward your problem, and whether or not you quit, okay? Second point this morning is it's the little things. Everybody say little things. You know, when, when couples come to me for marital counseling, so many times more than not, it's not outrageous major problems that cause divorce. But it's, it's the adding up of and the piling up of a lot of unforgiven little things. The Song of Solomon says it this way, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And it's the little problems that we face that we sometimes get frustrated with the people that we love. And, and so often it's humorous because I've, I've been doing this, I've been in the ministry for 40 years and I've been actively counseling marital couples and situations for 30 of those 40 years. And what is so hilarious is that so often the thing that attracted him to you ends up becoming the thing that ticks you off. What drew you to her and you so loved that, that she was so spontaneous and just so in the moment and being able to enjoy the present and then seven years into marriage, you just go, my gosh, she doesn't know how to plan anything. <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? Am I helping anybody up in here? And, and, and all of it has to do with your perspective. When you, when you are bonkers head over heels about him, because you just thought he was just so creative and he was just so blessed because he has these certain gifts and now you're in a house and he didn't have any handyman skills. This was my wife's frustration. I'm creative. I can, I can write. I can speak before crowds. I can write music. I can teach people stuff. I can do creative things, put, put stuff together. But I had to have my toilet fixed last week and I was at the mercy and it cost me $154 to get my toilet fixed. I don't know, some of you are going to come up and say, why didn't you call me? Well, I will next time. Let me know who you are. <laughs> Let me just tell you this right now. I, I love DIY shows. I love to see how they take these just dilapidated, run-down, old, no-good pieces of property, and they build them up, and they make these great profits and all this kind of stuff. And I remember watching a couple of YouTube videos on how to do some stuff. And I messed it up so bad. Don said, don't, don't even, don't, don't try no more. Just call who we need to call. And I'm just, that's not my gift. I try. Now, I can cut some mean grass and I can garden. I can, I can landscape. I can make things look amazing. I'm excited about those things. But you let the lawnmower break down, 1-800-JOHN-DEERE. Do you know what they charge for a service call? Have mercy. <laughs> so that's just, that's not a gift that I have. So I, I have to recognize that I need to operate in the gifts that I have and recognize the little things that frustrate me about other people. I need to step back and get a fresh perspective on them. The little things that I do in my life have not just a big impact, they literally have an eternal impact. Look at what the scripture says. Jesus speaks to this thing about little things. He says, if you're faithful and say it, little things, you'll be what? 
faithful in large ones. Because what you do with the little things affects how you do the big things. Let's go on and get one more verse. But if you're dishonest in, say it, little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. That's Luke chapter 16. Let's grab one from Matthew 25. The Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we want to get at least two scriptures that give us this concept. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this. Say it. So we're talking about money now. And and some of you in the room need some help in the beginning of this year. And you you need to make some new decisions to get your finances in order. That's, that's not a struggle in my life. It has been in the past. The struggle in my life's right out here for everybody to see it. I went to the doctor this week, got my, everything checked. My blood pressure was great. And Dr. Mitchell said, Michael, I'm so glad your blood pressure's in range finally. And I said, well, I'm feeling great. I've got hope. I'm, I'm, I'm not battling depression, deep depression when Dawn first died and just labored through mild depression for the next year or so. I didn't go on any medication. I just, that was my personal conviction. I have no issue with people who do. If you need to, do what you need to do. But I felt this was the direction I was to go. And so this is a new year and it's a new season and I'm excited and I'm, I'm fresh. And I told him, I said, I built this church in 2018 and I'm going to rebuild this temple in 2019. So that's, that's my commitment. I've done it before several times. Yo-yo down, yo-yo back up. Yo-yo down, (laughs) held it about seven or eight years one time, and then came back with a vengeance, hallelujah. (laughs) Y'all didn't look at me in that tone of voice. Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) He says, for the thing with money, how you handle your money, he says, the master said, well done, my, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount So now I will give you many more responsibilities. How many of you know when you succeed at one thing, fixing one problem, that just means you've graduated to being able to handle a bigger problem? People, get shed of the idea that life is problem-free. If you don't have any problems, you're six feet under and not breathing. Come on. Are you all awake this morning? Come on. You you, got to help me out of here a little bit. He says, if you've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So when you've accomplished a task that was a challenge and then it brings you a promotion on your work, guess what? Now with that promotion comes some more money as remuneration for your time and your talent and your treasure. But it also means that you have greater responsibilities and you're going to be quested, if that's the right word. You're going to be on a quest to figure out solutions for bigger problems. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. So the Bible gives this concept. It's a kingdom principle. It's called the law of little things. The law of little things. I remember as a kid standing uh, on a dock over a lake, and I dropped a small rock into the still lake water. How do you know what happened? There was a little small circle that went out around the pebble, the rock, and then all of a sudden a larger circle, geometrically we call those concentric circles, and the circles continued to grow larger and larger, and that's what's called the ripple effect. Little things have the ability to bring and produce a ripple effect in your life. 
if you will be faithful in the little things, then the Bible says it can have a larger, much larger impact. There is a book that I have been reading. Actually, you can sit down in one reading and read it because it's a very small little book written by retired U.S. Navy Admiral William H. McRaven, and it's called Make Your Bed. Make Your Bed. How many of your mama told you that when you was growing up? Nuh-uh. We're not going to school till you make your bed. The subtitle of this says, Little Things That Can Change Your Life and Maybe the World. Uh, the, the, the concept I want to bring to you this morning is the title of the book, and it's the very first principle that Admiral McRaven talks about because he was a Navy SEAL. And he was going through his BUDS training, and he was, I guess what they call a tadpole, and he's trying to become a SEAL. The training, the rigorous ritual, practice, custom, habits that they build into those young men that are attempting to become SEALs are all about excellence and discipline and order. Their uniforms have to be just so. They have to stand at attention on a regular basis by their commander, their sergeant, or whoever it is that they're going through with their basic training, going through BUDS. And everything has to be pressed. Their shoes have to be spit-shined to the point that you can see depth. You can hold up three fingers and see them in the, 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 the top of their shoes. The gig line has to match with the the pants and the shirt, and the buckle has the brass buckle has to be spit shined. Well, they also check the bed, the bunk, and they teach them how to tightly make up that bed with hospital corners and with the blanket just so and the pillow in the very middle and an extra blanket at the bottom folded up and everything is orderly and everything is to perfection. And if your rack or your bunk or your bed is out of order, then you're going to have to do some extra duties. You're going to clean the latrine or you're going to do kitchen duty and peel some potatoes or you're going to do something that's going to make you think about what you didn't do right the first time. And he talks about the importance of making your bed because when, when, you're, when you're in the middle of, 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 of a battleground and everything that you're doing is, is an uncertain kind of situation, there are simple little things and practices that you can go back to that give you a footing. As Christians, we talk about spending time in the Word. We talk about prayer. We talk about worship. Gathering here on Sunday morning and lifting our voices with other brothers and sisters, believers in Christ together. And that fellowship is a spiritual discipline. It's a habit. You can get out of habit of going to church. Then you have to rebuild the habit of going to church. Going to church doesn't save anybody. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than your car parked in your garage. I've just messed up that illustration, so I'm not going to go back. Somebody say it happens to all of us. At least I didn't say anything wrong I have to apologize for. I've done that a couple of Sundays. 40 years of preaching. He talks about principles that he learned as a seal. And when he would be inspected, one of the things that they would do would take a quarter out. And if the quarter bounces off the bed and back up into the hands of the commander, then they got a nod and they passed inspection. Now, I make my bed. I don't know that you could ever bounce a quarter off of it. And I do it as tight as I possibly can because there's nothing that feels as good getting into a bed that's freshly made and the sheets are tight and clean. Somebody say clean. And, and, and so he talks about the importance 
of, of establishing these little habits. Motivational speakers will tell you that you can win your day in the first hour of your day. When you get up out of the bed, the mindset that you move yourself into, the perspective that you choose to have your day, God, today I choose joy. You can win your day in the first 60 minutes that you are awake by the habits that you repeat and do. Why? Because we, we are what we repeatedly do, Aristotle said. Excellence is not an act, but it's a habit. And what we repeatedly do determines our destiny. That's the one thing I want you to take home with you in the message this morning. When you make the bed, you put an immediate win under your belt. You have a check mark in the win column. You've got one thing, the task to-do list already has one thing accomplished, and the room looks better, and you feel better about it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on how many make your bed. Some do and some don't. I, I can't do that. I have, my bed has to be made. But that doesn't mean that I'm better than anybody else because there are other areas in my life that need to be made. Dawn wrestled with mental illness for three years. Began this mild depression. She'd been in yoga and just doing so many fun things with some of the other ladies, some in the church, Jody Fender, and, and it was just fit and happy, and I don't want to be crass, but she started going through the change of life, and her emotions, her hormones are up and down, and there was, it just happens. It's, brothers, I'm not throwing stones. Ladies, don't hear this the wrong way, but sometimes I didn't know what I would come home to whether she would be up or she would be down. And I love her still to this day. I love her with all of my heart. I didn't stop loving her just because she died. But that love got tested through that period of depression. And I just made a decision. You know, we, we so many times, it's so easy to love people who love back to you and they do what you want them to do. That's, that's not a challenge. There's no test in that. But when you love sacrificially, that means, for example, don't raise your hand, but if, when you say, I love you, and you expect somebody to give it right back to you in that moment, you're not really doing that out of love. You're doing it out of obligation because you expect them to give that right back to you. What if somebody doesn't say, I love you in return? I love you too. If you really love them, whether they tell you back or not, your love is going to be there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. And, and, and love is not just a feeling. Love is a decision. Love is a determination. I stood before friends and witnesses and God, and I said, until death do us part, and I meant that. And there are days that you, it's a decision. You make the choice to love, whether it's your ratty children or your aggravating husband. And, and you decide to love, and, and you make that a habit. I learned a long time ago, I've told so many young people that are struggling in their marriage, I said, if you will do, sir, what you did for her when you were trying to win her heart, the feelings you're looking for will come back. Cook her a meal, buy her some flowers, take her out, find out what her love language is, and pour it on her. Gary Chapman, five love languages, gifts and surprises, quality time. I'm not going to take time to go through that. She was depressed, and I was battling it just due to the cloud she was under and eventually the atmosphere that became part of our house. A lot of negativity. I'm not throwing stones at the love of my life because she couldn't help it. 
As any good husband should, I stepped up and kept the house from falling down around our ankles. I'll be honest, making the bed wasn't high on my priority list. I was just keeping dirty dishes out of the sink and washing the clothes so we would have something to wear and cutting the grass. And what I never expected happened. She died. She took her own life. And the battle for my soul began. Oh, it wasn't initially in the shock. It probably took a month. The crowds that were around began to wane. And the isolation and the loneliness began to set in. And after the initial shock was over and losing the love of my life, I recognized that I was going to have to attack each day with a new level of discipline. And before I ever knew there was a book by Admiral McRaven called Make Your Bed, I just decided I'm going to get out of the bed because if I, if I don't make it, I will get back in it and cover my head up and spend hours crying. And so I started making the bed the very first thing that I did. I, I got to where I could do it in about five minutes and an excellent job. Put the picture up. That's my bedroom right there. That's a good-looking bed right there. See how tight that is? I see some wrinkles. That was a bad picture. <laughs> and when I say I started making the bed, I don't just mean yanking the covers up over the pillows. That's not a, that's not a made bed. I mean tightening that fitted sheet and plumping the pillows and tucking the, fl- the, the flat sheet in and adjusting the duvet and the quilt and placing, oh my gosh, all of those pillows she bought. What? Who needs... Who freaking needs nine pillows on a bed? I'm sorry, ladies. Now, she'd be proud of me because there they are right there. You see the bed made. I started seeing the bed made, and it brought some order into my chaos. My life was in a whirling tailspin of emotions that I couldn't control. And I, I, I can really go, I can do pretty well talking, but when I start talking about her, it still affects me. And seeing the bed made gave me an awareness of order because, you know, that's what the kingdom of God is about. God takes chaos and he brings order into it. He doesn't just zap it all at once, but God, God is about process. And he will let you see progress over time through process in your life. He's still working on all of us. That repeated daily little thing rippled into cleaning out closets and giving away stuff and throwing away. I developed a practice that every day I would throw away 25 things that I didn't need. I watched a special on Netflix on minimalism and I saw how gorged we had become with every drawer, every closet, every storage space where you've got to push up against the closet to try to get it closed. I said, I can't keep living this way. And so I cleaned out my closets, I gave away, I threw away, and that moved out of the house to where I cleaned out my garage. I had been living for several years because I couldn't afford a shed and I'd been living for several years where neither one of my cars could be parked in the garage. And it literally took me weeks and weeks 
And I went out there every day. Sometimes I would just be, dis- I would be exhausted. And I would pick up some things and I would cry because it would remind me of dawn. And some stuff that was just junk that I threw away and I just stayed after it. I didn't quit. Look at your neighbor and say, don't ever quit. I emptied the whole thing down to the point the day that I swept it out and got my leaf blower and I blew the dust out of my garage and I looked at it and I took a picture and sent to my kids and said, look what I've done. I immediately parked both cars in it because they hadn't been in my garage for years because we collected so much crap. Pardon me, I don't want to offend you, but you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. And I parked both cars in it and I took a picture and I sent it to Drew and Abby. And I said, God is bringing order into my life. I enjoyed it for a month where I could get both cars out, my Jeep and Dawn's BMW, which is since gone. And I, 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 I got a new fresh idea. The bonus room up in the attic that we talked about finishing for years, I said, I'm going to finish that and I'm going to put all of my books because that's the one thing that Dawn loved me because I was a reader and kind of a wannabe intellectual, but she hated the piles of books. Michael, if you buy any more books, I'm going to lose my mind all over you. So she would say, and then she would go to the bookstore with me. And so I emptied my whole attic, which was worse than my garage. There was stuff up there that was still in boxes when we moved from North Carolina in December of 1988 that I had never opened. And I thought, well, if I've not needed them in 25 years, I probably don't need it. But I had to open it anyway because I was curious and I wanted to see what was in there. I went through and found just the coolest stuff I found the little keyboard that we gave Abby when she was a little girl. I have a picture of it, but I didn't put it in this. This was what it looked like in my garage. You saw it clean with two cars in it. I brought the whole contents, everything in the attic. There was five Christmas trees in there and every kind of Christmas decoration you can imagine. There's a telescope. There was a a big, some kind of weird chair that Abby had in her room. and, And it stacked tall as I am. And I started going through stuff, and I found stuff, and I went through memories, and I cried, and I laughed, and I found the little keyboard that we gave Abby when she was about three years old, where she wrote her name backwards and mirrored, which is why we started calling her Yeba, A-B-B-E-Y, backwards. And I sent a picture to Abby, and she said, don't get rid of that. I said, oh, no, no way I'd ever get rid of that. And so I'm going through that whole process, and I'm cleaning out, and I'm bringing order, but God is bringing healing to my soul. Sorry. And I cleaned out and I threw away and I gave away and I took back more ground. And I established more order. And what was happening on the outside was also happening on the inside because God was restoring some emotional health into my life. I was redeeming my space. Some of you have been in places where you've just let your space slide and it's no wonder you're battling depression because everything is just cluttered and the minutia and the stuff and I've been there and I still have to fight that tendency. I took yesterday afternoon and I took three hours and cleaned off my desk 
And it's so amazing. I should have taken a picture so I can show you. <laughs> and so it, wellness was coming back into my soul. And I began the process. I called Michael Rushing with quality flooring and construction. And we began the process of building out the bonus room. This was a dream of mine and Dawn's. That's going up the stairs there off of our hallway and into the bonus room and put the dormer over the garage and started building all of that really nice big space for my home office where all my books are. And there's a pic, one just one picture. It's not the whole room, but this is next of a couple of leather chairs that are sitting there. And Drew and Holly brought that in Goonie Cowhide back for me from South Africa when they were in South Africa last year. All of that happened, folks, because I started making my bed. Are you hearing me this morning? Some of you are saying, well, I make my bed. I, I need something else to help me. Charles Dewey in, in the book Power of Habits talks about a keystone habit that if you will do it consistently, it will start to ripple over into other areas of your life. All of that happened because I started making my bed every day. Everybody say every day. B.J. Fogg, who is a Stanford psychologist, says this. If you pick the right, everybody say it, small behavior and sequence it right, then you won't have to motivate yourself to have it grow. It will just happen naturally like a good seed planted in a good spot. What is our one thing? When we repeatedly, what we repeatedly do determines our destiny. Last point. Are you getting anything out of this today? Practice makes permanent. Now, this comes from my teaching piano. Because every kid who ever comes in, give me a second. Every child who ever comes in and starts taking lessons from me has had a parent or a grandparent tell them, practice makes perfect. And I say, no, that's not correct. And they look at me big-eyed, and the parent looks at me big-eyed. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Come on, some of you guys, any golfers in the room? How many of you know if you have a bad swing and you, you hook that thing to the left, you can practice it all you want to, but what you're going to do is just make that bad swing permanent. Only right practice makes perfect. And so part of my lesson is that I make sure that what they're going to be working on all week long, they hear me play it, they play through it, struggle to, with the sight reading, and I go, now do it this way. Work on this. And then they come back the next week, and, and, they, and we remember, practice makes permanent. Because what you do over and over and over again becomes part of your life, and you automatically respond to a situation because it's just an unconscious action. Practice makes permanent. Now, there's something here that I want to share with you real quickly, and the screen keeps jumping on me, so I apologize. Give me a second. <clears throat> Here it is. William Makepeace Thackeray said this, successful people aren't born that way. They become successful by establishing, say it, the habit of doing things unsuccessful people don't like to do. Did you hear that? Successful people don't, aren't born that way, but they become successful by being willing to establishing habits that unsuccessful people don't want to do. Whatever you're struggling with, if you will, don't, don't, don't make this big, huge list and a whole bunch of resolutions, you will never keep, probably end up keeping none of them. 
But I challenge you to do one thing, just one thing. For me, it was literally making the bed. Before the book came out, I didn't know the book existed. As a matter of fact, I heard, heard the guy interviewed on the Today Show. And I was so intrigued with Make the Bed because I thought, man, that happened in my life. And so I went and bought the book and read it just this week, literally in about 90 minutes. It's very short, very brief. You'll enjoy the read because it gives you 10 practices that, that you need to, to be able to do life. The first one is making your bed every morning. This is what John Maxwell says. He says, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. Everybody say daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. That's, that's a principle that you will never get away from. Listen, behavioral psychologists tell us that if you will do anything for 21 days in a row, that doesn't mean go five and skip three and jump start and well, that's fine. Don't quit. But get 21 days of it in a row where you don't break the flow. And then keep on going to 30. Because 30 gets it established. 90 days gives you a whole new lifestyle. Some of you need to make the habit of, a, of immediately making a choice to being positive and not let the first words that come out of your mouth in the middle of a circumstance be negative. That should be your one thing. Matter of fact, I'll be a prophet this morning and call two or three of you out. I'm gonna do, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's some folks, bless their hearts. I mean, no matter how great the opportunity is, they're going to see all kinds of problems with it. And you just need to shut up. <laughs> David said, guard my mouth, oh Lord. <laughs> you need help with this thing right here. All right. 21 days, do something, whatever it is. What, is. what did I teach you last fall? Nothing changes if nothing changes. Look at your neighbor and say that. Tell them, nothing changes if nothing changes. What is our one thing? What we repeatedly do determines our destiny. Seven things I just want to give them to you this morning. As Christians, we need to be cultivating these practices. Here we go. Number one, your time in the Word. Proverbs 4 says, my son, attend to my word. Now, if you've never been a, a Bible student, you've never been in the word, don't start out trying to read a whole book. Don't start out trying to read 10 chapters. Matter of fact, just, just take one chapter a day. Easiest way to begin to get into word time is to open your Bible to the book of Proverbs. There are 31 Proverbs. There are 31 days in most months. Read the proverb of the day for that day. Today's the 13th of January. Read the 13th proverb. Some of it will just wash over you. But there'll be something that'll jump out at you. And if you'll, before you start, put up the next one. Number two, the attitude of prayer. Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. That's not possible because I had to play the keyboard this morning. I've got to stand up here and speak. But what I'm doing right now, I'm doing it in an attitude of prayer. And learn to give little quick one-sentence prayers. Lord, guide me. I just prayed right then. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, bless my boss. You know what? If you start doing that, you'll, be, you'll quit being critical. All the employers in the room said amen. Come on, somebody. Word time. Attitude of prayer. Journaling. I do this. I've been doing it since I was 18 years old. I write down. Because guess what? When I get discouraged, 
I have a whole row of journals that I've been writing in since I was 18. And I can go back to a season in my life where God met me and faith will arise in my heart because I remembered the difficulty I was facing and I remembered how I prayed and I remembered how God blasted the mountain into the middle of the sea in my life. And all of a sudden, I'm strong again and I'm ready to take on hell with a water pistol. Now, if you're not doing any of these, don't try to do all of them. Pick one. Everybody say one thing. Number four, worship. I I know that what we do here might be new to some people, but but let me just say this. Please don't come in and do look around worship. Hey, look what she's got on. Mercy. We're not here to look at anybody else. We're here to look at Jesus. Let's lift our voices. Let's lift our hands. Let's get our eyes on him. Spend some time in worship. Number five, quickly, generosity. You just need to learn to be a giver. Don't be stingy. There is that that hoards and yet ends up with nothing, Proverbs says. There is that one that sows liberally and ends up blessed abundantly. When, when my finances are tight, I'll go get stuff out of my closet and go give it to the 8th Street Mission. Because everybody in the room has got stuff you hadn't worn in a long time. And you're not ever going to wear it again. Go get it out of your closet and give it to somebody that can benefit from it. Come on, somebody. There's all kinds of ways to give. Your time, your talent, your treasure. If you're new to victory, we encourage you. Just pray about what the Lord would have you to give. Because we're in a new, new place. The budget, we're, we're on, let me just say it this way. We're on energy now and not on West Memphis Utilities. West Memphis folk know what I'm talking about because your power bills are cheaper. So all that's going up, insurance on the place, all the, everything is going up. So I'm never going to come to you and go, oh, if you don't give, we're going under. No, I just want to teach you the spiritual discipline of being generous. And when you put God first, he'll make sure that you get what you need and then some and be blessed. Come on. put the <laughs> Number six, fellowship. This is clearly where it's in the word. Do not forsake the assembly. Don't stop getting together as it has become the habit of some. Church won't save you, but man, it sure can encourage you in your salvation experience. Finally, number seven, forgiveness. Some of you need to drop a great big F-bomb on the people that you're carrying a grudge to. And I'm talking about the word forgiveness. I got your attention when I said that, didn't I? The Christian's F-bomb is forgive. Stop holding your grudges. Let that mess go. Get up a fresh start and a fresh day and a new perspective. Wipe the slate clean. When we do what Jesus taught us to do, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, say it, daily bread. He intends for us to go before him as in a habit of prayer. Daily bread. You know, the, 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 the prayer, the intercessor didn't go, God, give me this year's budget today in Jesus' name. Now give me our daily, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Say it, our debtors. That's the only line in the Lord's Prayer that has a condition attached to it. I am forgiven as I forgive others. And because I've been forgiven so great a debt, I don't need to throw a brother in jail who owes me $20 in offenses. 
Because my debt is multiplied billions that I could never repay. And when I hold a grudge against somebody else, our heavenly father, like the king who heard about the servant, who threw his friend in jail, who only owed him a few bucks, but yet he had forgiven him multiple millions of dollars of debt. He said, that's fine. We're not going to do that. You're going to go back to jail and you're going to stay there till you pay everything you owe, which is impossible because you can't make that kind of money in jail. Which means you've been forgiven much Come on, let it go with somebody else. There are people in this room right now that your year is already starting off the wrong way because you're still carrying a grudge out of 2018 into 2019. Adjust your books, write it off, write off the bad debt, let it go. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to wait till they come and ask you to forgive. Come on, your forgiving of them does not fix them. It fixes you so you can be sane. All right, I've, I've gone over. Have you gotten anything out of it? Yeah. Musicians, come on back. I'm finished. I want you to choose one thing. Everybody say one thing. Do it every day for 21 days. If you miss it during your regular time, come back to it. There were days that I got up late and I had to run to an appointment, and I would go back to the house at lunch, and I would go back in there to my bedroom, and the order that I loved seeing wasn't there, and I would stop and make up that bed because I didn't want to have a day that I didn't have a made-up bed because that little habit rippled into other areas of my life, and it helped me to begin to stack good habits on top of each other. We'll talk about that this next week. Come back to it. The 21 days in a row is critical. That's how long it takes to become or build a new habit. Don't worry about breaking the bad ones right now. We can talk about breaking bad in the future in this series. But let's just try to get a a good one started first. You do it in 90 and it becomes a lifestyle. Bow your hearts with me, please, this morning. Gracious.